The Truth About College Admission podcast, as well as our book and workbook, are brought to you by Johns Hopkins Press. Visit press.jhu.edu to learn more about their wide selection of books and journals from the world's most trusted authors, experts, and sources. I am one of your hosts, Brennan Barnard. I'm the director of college counseling for Con Schools Network and college admission program advisor at Making Caring Common. And I am Rick Clark. I'm the executive director for strategic student access and enrollment management at Georgia Tech. Rick, this was a great conversation we had with Eric Hoover uh, from the Chronicle of Higher Education, who is a prolific writer about everything college admission and just really brings... I think a sense of perspective and uh, balance um, and um, insight that that is often missing in this conversation around college admission, and and I really appreciate this this discussion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, great guy, very committed, um, does just unbelievable reporting. Um, so agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I hope folks will listen to, I mean, one of the things he does in his reporting is not just report on the the kind of headlines and you know the the policy and everything he really and he talks about this he he really digs into the way the policy is impacting people and and I think we need to have that conversation more because we get stuck on kind of whatever makes the headlines and and he digs into um not just the intention but the impact and 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 love the way he does that and and makes it real yeah, for sure. Um, for me, you know, thinking about what what to point to, um, I guess. <laughs> so he's like the king of long form. I mean, I think it, it sort of uh, shows you how much respect he has built in the field and also at the Chronicle that they've given him latitude to write some really long form pieces um, that you don't see from a lot of other journalists. So I know that is a credit to everything he's built there over time. So given that he's long form, I'm going to go with two things this time. Um, Because it's hard to settle on just one. One of those is um, when he was talking about his own college um, admission journey and how, you know, initially he really wasn't kind of satisfied or felt like, you know, there was sort of more out there than what he was necessarily getting from his um, counselor or from his school. And so, you know, he had good, honest conversations with his dad, who was helpful, especially leaning and talking him through the financial and money side of things, which, of course, he talks about now with the FAFSA and everything, um, the rollout this year, it's probably more important than ever. Um, And then the other thing, um, in addition to that was, you know, kind of expanding his list, keeping an open mind that he got from from another counselor. Um, So that piece of his own journey, I think people will enjoy hearing about. And then the last thing is, um, there's just so much going on right now for families in that the FAFSA is delayed, there's a compressed Mm -hmm. timeline. The SCOTUS decisions created a lot of wrinkles and everything, sort of a disturbance in the force, if you will. Um, But then also on the higher ed side, right, he said people are not at their best. Um, You know, people are stressed. Again, that same kind of um, turbulence and that same kind of compression is impacting admission folks, financial aid folks, which he didn't get into this, but I know he has experienced in his reporting. I mean, Financial aid offices around the country right now have just been hemorrhaging talent and not able to replace uh, a lot of employees. I mean, they are very spread thin in a year where we've needed them more than ever before. And so this idea of just like 
exercising grace to the people around you, to the people you're interacting with, keeping them that in mind, whether you're a student calling and trying to get answers from colleges or colleges having, you know, those types of uh, interactions with students and families, like the more patience and grace that we can insert into this quote process and make it more of an experience. Um, I love that he articulated that. And I just wanted to, um, I guess, kind of double click on it. Amen. Well, enjoy this conversation with Eric Hoover. Today, we are joined by Eric Hoover, a senior writer for the Chronicle of Higher Education, who writes about the challenges of getting to and through college. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me. Eric, good to see you. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, when they when they see this one drop, will immediately know your name and start listening. Um, because for many years now, you've uh, covered through the Chronicle the journeys of lots of students, um, counselors who work with students and others, you know, about college admission particularly, but higher ed in general. Um, although I'm guessing a lot of people don't know much about you necessarily or your college journey. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering, we like to start this way by asking people a little bit about, you know, where did they go to college? Why'd they go there? How'd they find that place? Uh, particularly if there's like something that you feel like can translate and be of value to students or parents. I'm just wondering what comes to mind for you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rick. And thank you, Brandon, for having me. Um, I think back to being a high school student, I went to, I was lucky enough to go to a small public uh, high school in North Virginia uh, that was known to be what? A good high school with good college counselors. Um, and my own college counselor just didn't make much of an impression on me. Um uh, she told me what she told most of my friends, which was, hey, you're a pretty good student. Um, uh, here are these eight Ivy League uh, colleges. You you should aim for one of them. And if not, well, then at the very least, you should go to one of the two uh, prominent public institutions in your uh, home state, uh, Commonwealth Virginia. Those would be William and Mary and University of Virginia. And that was basically the guidance that I got. <laughs> um, and I offer that because not to not to slam uh, uh, my poor college counselor, but um, uh, if I'd been content with that, if I hadn't had parents who were like, hey, maybe let's check out some other options and some friends who uh, gave me that encouragement, then I, what would I have been looking at? Ten very selective colleges. And if not, well, then what what, what should I have done? Um I was lucky enough to have a father who taught at a nearby public high school who was pals with his college counselor. I came over to sit with her and she like lit up the screen with colleges I'd never heard of, colleges that I could probably get into based on the primitive scattergrams in the early 90s that were being used to show me where I might um, well be uh, qualified to go. Um, and then I, it was just a it was just a, a lucky moment for me because I saw that um, a different counselor might sit you down and you might have a very different experience. So with her guidance, um, I visited, did overnights at a couple of liberal arts colleges I never had uh, heard of, but upon looking into, um, was really interested in. And so long story short, I expanded my search a bit, Not, nothing crazy. I didn't apply to 25 colleges, more like probably 10 or 11, but it was a real mix. I had a mixed list of like colleges that probably didn't make sense to appear on the same list together. And so I think trying to be expansive, no matter who your counselor is, if you have a good one, great. But even so, like maybe try to push beyond the advice that just one person is telling you 
And real quick, I guess I'd mention one other thing, and that is I originally had my heart set on a, a small private college outside the state of Virginia, and it was very, very expensive. My father sat me down and said, if that's where I really wanted to go, we would find a way to make it happen. But he wanted me to understand what that decision, how it would impact not just me, but my family. I had two older siblings, you know, going to college or grad school. And he sat down and laid it out how mm -hmm. my life, my life might look if I was working all the way through college at a certain level um, and what it would do to his uh, our family finances, not to scare me or deter me, but just to lay it out and make yeah. it simple and demystify the conversation about fit and add a layer of financial reality to it. So I think it's was important. It gave me pause and I thought, huh, I hadn't really thought beyond the next year or a few months. Um, I, and as I gained a, an appreciation for what that choice, that potential choice would look like, not just for me, but for my parents yeah. and their many years to come planning for retirement, uh, made me think differently about my uh, college destination. So I stayed in state, enrolled at the University of Virginia, which was a relative bargain, particularly um, at the time. I wanted to go there, but that overlay of like a financial impact, mm. me and my family piece, um, really helped me make that decision in the end. And you turned out okay. <laughs> uh, it turned out okay, uh, although some some might argue. <laughs> <laughs> so. Eric, you've written about pretty much every aspect of college admission uh, from the recent, recent snafus with the uh, free application for federal student aid to the Supreme Court decision on race-conscious admission to uh, direct admission. Um, you've written great profiles on professionals in admission from uh, legends like uh, Ted Spencer to... Um, Liz Sharon recently and her new role in the, for the coalition for college. And, um, I'm, we're curious, you know, what's an area that you've most enjoyed writing about or an interview that stands out among your favorites? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for asking it. I'll mention, um, there are a bunch, but let me, let me just pick two. And I, and, I, and the first one happened in a public high school uh, serving uh, mostly low-income, first-gen, um, African-American and Latino students in Dallas, Texas. I was sitting beside this wonderful young man. He had huge biceps. He played on the football team. He was kind of a, you know, a sweet kid, but a tough guy. And I was sitting next to him when he opened his, I believe it was, um, his portal at Texas A&M University. And he saw on his screen all these red X's, as I recall. Um, and those red X's look scary. And he was like, what is this? And he was frightened. And what they were, were um, it, he, he had been selected for FAFSA verification. Um, and he had to provide, he and his family uh, were being required to provide additional documentation about their taxes and their finances um, in order to complete the financial aid process at this university. And I'm not exaggerating, this big, tough kid had tears in his eyes mm. because he didn't understand what it meant. And he leaned over and asked his wonderful college advisor who worked there with about 600 seniors to help him understand this. And he was worried that he, this meant he couldn't go to college. He didn't know how to get these forms or how to complete verification. And over the period of 15, 20 minutes, this wonderful college advisor 
helped him understand, calmed him down and said, hey, we're going to get through verification together. And here's the plan I'm going to draw up for us to get these forms ASAP, get them in. We'll move forward. You're going to go to you're going to go to this university if, if you want. Um, I mentioned that because that was a moment where I thought I understood what FAFSA verification was prior to that moment because I had read um, articles about it. I talked to policy experts about it, maybe some financial aid people who work at colleges about it. But until I sat next to a 17-year-old kid who was crying and scared, looking at this verification challenge before him, I didn't really fully appreciate the human impact of something like FAFSA verification. I mentioned that because, Brennan, um, I'm mostly drawn these days to opportunities to tell uh, true stories about the impact of laws, policies, institutional requirements and practices on students and families themselves, especially students and families who um, who are disadvantaged in some way or perhaps in many ways. And so... Um, I often think of that moment and 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 uh, how powerful that was. And I guess real quick, another another moment, uh, reflecting um, on some realities in uh, Rick's uh, chosen uh, field of admissions. Um, I once sat with a guy named uh, Palmer Monts, who is longtime <laughs> admissions and enrollment uh, leader. Uh, he was working at the time. This is this is over a decade ago at Lincoln Christian University in Illinois. It's a Bible college. And I sat with him as he was counseling a student and his parents. Student had decided at the last minute he wanted to go to Lincoln Christian and not some other college that was going to be much more affordable for him. He wanted to go to Lincoln Christian because uh, he believed the, the Lord had told him to uh, go there. However, the family didn't have much money. He had a younger sister who was just a year or two behind him in high school, and she wanted to go to college too. And... How did Palmer Muntz, this enrollment official, counsel this family? He let me sit in the room as he was trying to work, walk the family through what they would be on the hook for if they sent their son to this college for four years. It was going to be a lot of money. The university was giving them the aid that they could, but it's going to, going to mean a lot of loans. And the mother said, well, I know, but God wants our son to go here. In so many words, she said that. Mm -hmm. And Palmer very respectfully said, I understand, but God is not going to help you pay back your parent plus loans. And so I watched in this moment a very ethical um, enrollment leader try to acknowledge this family's deep want to send their son to this college, while also very gently he tried to uh, counsel this family about this enormous financial commitment that they are going to make, not just for one year, but for four years. And I thought it was an embodiment of the ideals of the admissions profession, as they're often stated, um, to help families make a, a decision that's best for them. Yes, this man wanted this, this, this student to enroll at his university, right? That would benefit the university. But he also wanted them to be completely clear about the financial commitment that they were taking on. And so I think it was a very difficult um, needle to thread in the moment. And I watched him do it with great care and attentiveness. And uh, it just kind of blew me away. There was a moment where I think anyone who worked in admissions would be proud to say that they worked for this gentleman mm. who easily could have, um, you know, spun a web and tried to swindle this family um, and not mentioned, uh, okay, but don't forget about this fee and don't forget about this 
um, financial reality, and 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 he and he laid it all out for them very plainly and gently, and ultimately the student enrolled. But it was um it was quite a thing to uh, uh, a conversation to witness in the moment. Well, I love that you're telling these stories, and I mean especially in this kind of current culture of uh, focusing, especially in the media, on you know certain subset of schools and 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 the highly selective kind of hype and the you know uh hand-wringing about the SATs and things like that it's so important to bring it back down to like what is the impact on people right and on students and and you do that so beautifully and uh and and Palmer now is um at University of Alaska and um, has really opened, Rick and I have had uh, some close contact with him and done some programs with him and has really opened our eyes and my eyes to um, some of the challenges in Alaska where, you know, a lot of the high schools don't even have roads into the high schools, right? Like they, they're only reachable by plane or by ATV or things like that. And just the disparity among uh, counseling and that, that a lot of these schools um, share a counselor among multiple schools. So it's just, right. I mean, like you said, these, these stories, and I think we, we often miss them in, in what is out there. Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna kind of put my finger on that one too, to say, I mean, I think that's what people appreciate about your writing is that you do bring to life, um, stories and you kind of are able to put it in context as well. Um, one of the things you and I have talked about and you just alluded to a little bit is the policy side of things and the transparency side of things. What's really happening? What are the impacts? Right. Um, I think well, many of us sort of bemoan um, a variety of reasons right now why that is becoming less and less um, common. Uh, that that you're able to have access to deans and directors around the the country um that the public broadly you know probably throughout the history of higher education has never been more um skeptical or sort of pessimistic and particularly within higher ed college admission and price transparency and 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 a lot of what you just were referring to i mean this is a big question i'm wondering if you can kind of you know, be succinct in, in helping us here understand like why is that? What are some of the reasons why um, transparency is is not provided um, as often as many would like? Um, what have you run into there with your reporting? And then I guess also, what would you hope or what do you believe are some of the things that aren't known or aren't as clear that you would like to see, um, you know, in the future? Yeah, I think um, transparency, uh, there's a couple of things. Um, it, it depends, but I think uh, sometimes colleges are uh, are willfully not wanting to be transparent about the say. I mean, anyone who's looked at an aid offer, uh, or in my case, hundreds of aid offers laid out together, and the inconsistencies there, I think some of them um, add up to well, colleges have their own way of doing things. But I also think sometimes that a particularly egregious um, uh, non-transparent aid offer is um, by design, right? And it depends on the college. And I, um, it, whether it's bad habit, complacency, or an intent to sort of mislead or undersell the total cost of attendance over four plus years, um, I, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot going on there. So I think um, uh, in this new era for a new FAFSA, uh, the extent to which colleges can get their acts together and make those offers as consistent and clear as possible, mm. um, is is a good thing for families, and it's a, and it's a good faith um, gesture. It might seem like a small thing, 
but I've interviewed tons of students, parents, um, alums who are five, 10 years out of college, and they'll talk about their frustration with trying to figure out those damn aid offers um, and yeah. feeling like they were not the complete picture. Um, I can I can share another thing. I just had two talks in the last week with parents about this. When it comes to what they want to see that would make them perceive higher ed more favorably and to have a, uh, a bit more faith in those colleges that are recruiting their sons and daughters, they... These two families both said they have been blown away by a contrast that they see in so many words between colleges that are hitting them over the head with a a rendering of a plan that this institution has for providing top-notch, sustained career advising, career planning, whatever you want to call it, for their kids – Contrast between those institutions and colleges that they've interacted with who don't seem to want to talk about that much or mm. don't really paint a vivid picture about this being a top level, first order service and benefit of attending this college. I think parents have been noticing that for years. I think it's more intensified now because a college that can paint a picture, not just that we have a new sparkling career advising center. Uh, that has X number of employees, but like, this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to make it impossible for your kid to avoid us. Right. I mean, Brennan, you probably, you probably know plenty of students who are like born go-getters or, right. or trained go-getters. Right. Um, and they're always going to go seek out the appointment, figure out a plan. That's great. I wasn't one of those students. I think most, most young people aren't. Um, they need someone to grab them. They need someone to lead them down. They need to have not just the directions to the career advising center, but like, hey, this is something the college is going to offer to me on an ongoing basis. And this is how um, we're going to make a plan about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to get there. Um, parents often mention that to me uh, without my asking it. That's that's on the list. And they're yeah. comparing, as they're shopping, they're comparing, um, uh, some parents, I think, are comparing like what, what they're hearing from college A versus college B. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the extent to which colleges can better make the connection between, hey, if you come here, this is what we're giving you to prepare for that great, scary unknown of your future four, five, ten years down the line. Um, maybe that helps ease some of that very um, well-informed skepticism that the public has about the point yeah. of higher ed and going through this this whole process and paying all this money right now. Well, and it's important, I mean, not just for return on investment conversations, but I mean, you know, Making Caring Common has done some research and and kind of surfaced this this crisis that 18 to 25-year-olds are having of meaning and purpose. Right. And so how are colleges helping students um, articulate that meaning and purpose? I, absolutely, Brent. I'm glad you mentioned that because this one family said to me, you know, I don't just want salary bands and projected numbers. It's that's the bottom line, perhaps that's important. But this can can this go can this conversation go hand in hand with who do I want to be and what do I want my life to be like? That's perhaps related to your salary mm -hmm. that you might make at age 25 or 50. Sure. But as we all know, that's not the only thing. What kind of life and lifestyle do I want to have? What kind of uh, experience do I want to have once I go out into the world? Um, that's a tricky conversation for colleges 
maybe to have, but damn, they need to be having it. You know, I mean, one thing you hit on there, that concept of, I guess, outcomes, but also um, providing the resources and making it really transparent how a student can have a roadmap through, regardless of what their major is, um, you know, and, and there's people there that are going to be available to them and, you know, campuses coming together to uh, to show that, right, and, and to provide students with um, stories about and contact for, um, here's what we provide, here's when it's going to happen, here's, you know, all of the sort of infrastructure that exists to, to help you be successful. Um, and also kind of, I think you're pointing back to this idea of like, why are you going to college? And, and we talk a lot about that in our book, actually, just this like mm -hmm. big question yeah. matters so much. But it answering that question, I think, does help you slim down the places that are, are, quote, good fits and matches and all the terms that get thrown out there. One way to start to get to that, I think, is by really being uncommon, I think, in asking that question. Too few students ask that question. Why do I really want to go write that down, see where places are matching and are they answering your questions or not? I mean, that's yeah. a huge indicator. Yeah, agreed. For sure. Well, let's uh, let's bring it back down from the 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 big picture to kind of the, the year ahead. Right. Twenty twenty four. You know, the one constant in college admission is change. Right. And uh, yeah. it's, I'm sure going to be another complicated year. What what are some of the big stories you're watching or stories you want to tell? Yeah, I'll mention three very quickly. One, right now, um, I'm knee-deep in a couple of different uh, reporting projects about the FAFSA rollout, right? It's been rocky. For some students, it's been um, relatively smooth, but for others, not at all. Um, and the dominoes uh, are going to keep falling as we move on through the admission cycle. So trying to make sense on a human level um, for students and families, also counselors and people who run admissions and aid offices, what the impact is going to be as we go through month by month in this very upside down year with the new FAFSA rolling out uh, relatively late in the game. That's one. A second is how to make sense of the immediate impact anyway, one year later of the Supreme Court decision regarding uh, race conscious admissions. How is that changing recruitment? How does that impact the um, uh, diversity, racial um, and ethnic diversity at um at various institutions um, uh, this year. Um, how are colleges making sense of that? Who, who works in admissions is even going to be allowed to speak frankly um, about what this process was like? Um, uh, we'll see. And then finally, just back to what we were just talking about, Brennan, um, uh, I'm working on one story right now that's trying to make sense in some small way about uh, of the public perception problem, if you will, that I think higher ed in general has. It'll be drilling down on the experiences of young men in the Midwest who have started at a four or two year college, but who have not continued and trying to drill down into their experiences um, why it is that they decided to go to college, but then decided to not continue on with college um, preview. It's not just money. Um, and, and hopefully writing an article that can be that will explain, shed a little light on, again, for this subgroup of students, um, what we can take from their experiences of college that might tell us something about why it's a big question why so many Americans don't have faith in this entire enterprise, um, in this entire system right now, or they're just deciding, you know what, that's for other people, that's not for me. So I think those are the three big uh, buckets, if you will, of uh, articles that I'll be, I'll be working on until next time we talk, probably. 
I love it. Those, I love it. Those are big and those are all important and something, I mean, literally on a daily basis, I can tell you working on a college campus, those conversations are changing. I mean, in the direction that we get and the advice that we get from one week to the next, literally can yeah. just completely counter one another. So we appreciate you digging into it and reporting on it because you're, you're right. I mean, it's uh it is a very tumultuous time right now in admission and higher ed. Um, with that said, um, just to kind of wrap up and close, um, what is one thing, I mean, from the students that you've talked to, the counselors you've talked to, all the higher ed professionals that you've talked to, you know, um, what would be just sort of a message you would want to leave people with? Um, or just one thing that you would want people to um, consider, I guess, um, as this year kicks off? Um, that no one is at their best. <laughs> um and that uh, this shouldn't this shouldn't limit um, anyone from being skeptical. And I would say skeptical as hell, right? Um, of of anything that's going on here. Um, uh, uh, but uh, you know, I I think uh, trying to make sense of of particularly this admission cycle, this enrollment year, um, no matter matter who you're talking to, is just mm. keep in mind that that. Um, there's there's a lot that's up in the air. There are, I think, an abnormally high number of um, unknowns um, to consider. Um, I feel like I'm being vague here, but um, that the normal operating procedure is not is not what we're we're having this year. Maybe we never have it in any year, but this year, <laughs> like uh, stress and anxiety is particularly high for for so many for so many folks, given the events of the last year with SCOTUS with a crazy FAFSA rollout. Um, and yeah, just a, I think a growing sense of unease that like, I don't know, is higher ed still worth all that um, that we hear from all kinds of uh, families? Um, so I'm, I'm trying to talk to people about their immediate short term challenge while keeping an eye and, and trying to help them keep an eye on, on like the down the line, um, um, you know, not so short term um, uh, time horizon um, and, and, you know, uh, it's it's easy to get caught up in the immediate crisis, but like not just where are we now, but where are we going? Where might we be heading? That's those are the kind of questions I try to ask um, people when I when I bug them for interviews. And and how can we approach it all with patience and grace? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> patient well, patience is uh, patience is a good thing, especially right now. Well, we are grateful for for all that you bring to the profession and to uh, the conversations around um, this space and uh, appreciate all you do. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we will link to some of the articles that you referenced, as well as just uh, your contact information, how, where people can kind of find you online. Cool. Uh, you know, so thanks again. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Sorry to ramble. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Eric Hoover. Uh, as we close, I did want to thank our season two partner, Grown and Flown. Um, I've worked with them for a number of years and they are a phenomenal resource for parents of high school students in particular. Um, their website's full of expert content on college admission and all aspects of raising teens. Um, they do have an affordable monthly membership called College Admission Grown and Flown for Families. We have questions about the admission process and how to pay for college, which again, in that episode today um, has really never been a, a more important conversation to have and expert um, to walk you through that. We have put a show uh, 
note in the, um, or I'm sorry, we have put a link in the show notes, uh, which would give you a three week free subscription. And so we encourage you to check that out. Again, we've also included uh, a number of Eric's articles and kind of where you could follow him online. Um, So we want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a great week and we will be back soon with another episode.